0: Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name is Grant McCarran, and today I'm once again joined by Kim Berry, not just the best lady in the industry, but the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show, the lady who's all about food. How are you going, Kim? Well, you'll keep... (laughs) <laughs> I have to make up for what I said before we hit record, right? Oh,
1: yeah. Of course, of course. And I like that you do it in a more public forum so that, you know, it's on the record. <laughs> how, are you, how are you, Grant? Are you well? Uh,
0: yes, I'm great. We've actually had good weather down here in Melbourne just for a change. Spring thinks it's springing, but don't worry, the rest of the week will be wet and cooler.
1: Oh, really? Yes, spring seems to have well and truly sprung in Sydney as well. It's, um, I like the in-between seasons. I like the spring and the autumn. You get these beautiful days and a crisp night. That's, that's what, that's what civilised people should be living in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sounds good.
1: Anyway, I think one of the things that is quite lovely when you start to get these beautiful days and the sun's there but it's not trying to totally kill you is you can sit out on a balcony or, you know, anywhere with a little bit of sun on your face, sipping a nice g and or basically really any sort of spirit with a with a mixer. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be joined by Andy Gaunt, the ANZ Managing Director for premium mixer brand Fever Tree. He brings 20 plus years of experience in the premium and luxury drinks sector to our conversation today. So I think we'd better get to it. Hi
2: Andy. Hello Kim, good morning.
1: Andy, uh, this this twenty this twenty plus years, where did you begin? Like, how did you start in the in the alcohol um, sector?
2: <laughs> yeah, good question, Kim. Probably like many others, it wasn't really planned. Um, I, I guess growing up, I had a parents who loved a glass of wine and a bit of travel, and and growing up, you sort of enjoy a good drink and a good bite to eat, and then um, started working in pubs part time through uni. Um, and I guess then I sort of kind of fell in love with this this what quite mysterious bit of magic of how you could make from a grape or something quite unsexy like a piece of grain um, these different drinks and I thought that was really fascinating actually and um, started reading a few books about this. Um fortunate that I'd studied French and Italian at university and, and spent some time living in those two countries where appreciation for food and drink was quite high and um, I thought I'd better get a job after uni and, and I thought the wine industry, um, the drinks industry probably sort of matched the the things I'd enjoyed with the things that I was quite inspired by and um, so I guess bartending at the beginning and then selling wine and selling spirits at an early age in late 90s, early 2000s in London, um, never thought there's a career you know, to grow into all these wonderful different parts of the world and different parts of a drinks industry but that's where it all started, back back behind the bar.
1: Wow, I think uh, I think it's pretty pretty common for a lot of the sort of professionals that we talk to today is that I was just I was at uni I was working behind a bar like I, I caught the bug you know <laughs> you meet all the winemakers you meet all the spirit makers it's a really dynamic industry it can uh, it can lure you in pretty pretty quickly
2: yeah that's right
1: so so tell us a bit about Fever Tree it's celebrating its twentieth. Anniversary this year is that
2: right? Well, it will be twenty years actually since the idea was conceived. Correct, yeah. Two thousand and four was when I guess we'd probably say the 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 product was first born. But yeah, I mean it was um, an idea. Again, talk about sort of bars and pubs. Um, Our co-founders Tim Warlow and Charles Rolls um, met each other in a pub. Uh, southwest London, and Tim had an idea to make gin. This is 2003, so this is before the sort of boom of gin we've all experienced. Um, And at that time, um, there was not a lot of options, I guess, in the world of gin. There were some pretty well-known brands that are still around today, and Charles Rolls had owned Plymouth Gin, um, a fantastic gin brand from the southwest of England that really turned itself around and and, and knew a, th- a little bit about gin, I guess. So they met to talk about making gin. It was in that meeting that Charles said, well, that you could make gin if you like. But one of the problems of being a distiller, unlike a brewer or winemaker, who when you make your beer or wine, you send it out the door and people drink it that way as, as you sort of send it out the door. But as a gin maker and other distillers, when you send your spirits out the door, people don't drink it neat at room temperature. They tend to fill it up with fizzy drink and uh, and often all of those nuances can get lost and he said that's a bit bit demoralizing so the idea changes that why isn't the in the context of gin a tonic water actually that not full of artificial flavorings and sweeteners uh, and actually is there to bring out all of those wonderful nuances and flavors of a great gin and, and the idea of if three quarters of your drink is the mixer or the in this case, three quarters of your gin was the tonic. Why wouldn't you have one that, you know, showcases all these wonderful botanicals and flavorings and craftsmanship of the distillers? And that was where the, the idea of fever tree was born.
1: I still think that, that that campaign is one of the best ever. Because I don't I know that none of my friends and no one in my cohort had ever really thought about it like that in terms of three quarters of this drink is not the really expensive part. Like it's not the <laughs> It's not the the actual thing that we think we're we're drinking. It's you know it is the mixer, and so it was a really quick. You got the message across. It was like an education campaign in one sentence, and everyone went, "Ah, oh, yeah." And so, and it really has it really has held the brand in good stead, hasn't
2: it? You're spot on, Kim. I mean, I think even today, I. I, I Get such a, a buzz out of seeing that light bulb go off in someone's head when they sort of listen to that story or read that somewhere. It's um, certainly something we never thought about. I mean, mixers were a commodity for decades. Um, we slept, walked down the aisle and picked up whatever was there, and we didn't really care about it. And, and that sort of lack of care had sort of driven price down, and real ingredients got taken out because people still wanted to make money and retailers couldn't charge more for it. Um, so there was this sort of whole space. But if you actually go back, you know, 100 odd years, the category was called enliveners, well they were called enliveners back in the sort of the turn of the eighteen hundreds, because back then the alcohol was the bit that just fueled the drink. Um, and people would call for a, you know a gin and you know actually asked for the tonic water because it was their health properties of carbonated tonics if you like that during the 1800s early 1900s were a bit that people cared about um, and we completely lost that for decades during the 1900s and spirits meanwhile learned a lot from beer and especially wine educated us on the difference between brands and the, you know the, the mixers had been a bit lost in the world of big soft drink companies and as I say had become commodities and um, and and we're still working hard every day to kind of change Change that paradigm. There's still lots more, lots more work we have to do here at Fevertree.
1: Yeah. Well, I just think you, now you walk, now you sleepwalk down that that aisle. <laughs> and there used to only be two options. There was a very well-known Schweppes and there was a home brand. And that was pretty much it. There might have been Kirks, but that was that was all that was on offer. And uh, and now you sort of stand there and <laughs> it's like well, I'm having a I'm having a a really traditional gin or I'm having a really floral gin, or I'm so today I'm going to get this sort of tonic, or I'm going to get that sort of tonic. I think it's a real um, and it's happened relatively
2: quickly. Yes, that's right. I mean, I, I've had the pleasure of working with fevertree now for about eight years, and pretty much since we first came to Australia, so we said we were established in the UK, and I guess that's where our founders were um, back in two thousand and four. 2005, six, seven, early days. But you know, internationally, we're still very young as a, as a business, and particularly, you know, the first time we would have had product on shelf in Woolworths or Coles would have been 2018, I guess. So that's you know five five years, and it's really transformed the category of, of tonic water at least. Um, a lot more work we need to do in um, to continue that same story for dry ginger ale, for ginger beer, for sodas. Um, but you know, certainly, it's uh, you know, it's been a fantastic. Um, opportunity to kind of be part of this journey the last few years.
1: And I think one thing that really strikes me is obviously that initial conversation between the founders of we're going to, let's look at the mixer instead of the spirit. But then the next part of it in terms of how we're going to sweeten it and that we're not going to use artificial sweeteners and we're going to try and do that in the most natural way, to be thinking like that in, you know, the early 2000s was particularly within the Drink sector that was very that was very new.
2: Yeah, that that's right, Kim. And I think that you know that point of the business, which is how do we make every drink taste better, taste the best it can, was the sort of the obviously the beginnings of all of this. And and right at the beginning, that went well. How do we make a better tasting drink? And part of that was understanding what the current drinks on the market at that point were doing and why they maybe weren't working as well as they could. And it was that sort of unpicking of the use of saccharin and and other sweeteners not using real ingredients, using cheaper artificial ingredients, because nobody cared about it at that point. So some of those you know, real ingredients have been taken out. So the founding principle right from the beginning was championing naturally sourced ingredients, whatever they may be, whether that's the ingredient or the flavoring or the sweetener, um, and refusing to compromise on taste or quality. Uh, We certainly weren't there to take on Schweppes in that sense. We were there and still are to give people choice. So if you care about having a better tasting or the best tasting drink at least you have some choice now um, and as I say you know we believe that the use of alternative or artificial flavoring sweeteners and preservatives um, just compromises on taste and we still passionately believe that uh, and that's why at fever tree you won't find any artificial sweeteners or flavorings in our mixers or, or drinks and never have and never will
1: I think that's really top of mind at the moment, isn't it? Because of all of the discussion that's been happening in recent months with the WHO findings on aspartame, and in, ter- in some ways it, it, it clarifies an argument, and in another way it adds another level of complexity. Because people are like, "Well, if it is safe to, to drink in the quantities or quality, you know, that we're currently consuming soft drinks in, then why not use it? Because it's got less calories or..." And, but then, the flip side of it is it's still an artificial ingredient, and it's now on the who scale in terms of you know this could be potentially carcinogenic. I mean, you have to drink I don't know nineteen liters of it or something, but you like but you guys are very much in that land of like nope we're just we're we're holding course
2: yeah, that's right, and um you know obviously having You know, discussions about ingredients is something that I think Australians have been doing for some time in food and all sorts of things. So, you know, we certainly welcome, you know, anything that educates us on what we consume, whether that be food or drink. And, you know, while it's not our place to comment specifically on any of the health components of the WHO findings, I think what it does, you know, you know, sort of highlight is, you know, the importance, first of all, on one hand, of reassuring those that do buy fever tree already, um, that, you know, we've always believed that artificial sweeteners or alternative sweeteners are not the answer because of that taste first and foremost. But also, you know, I think just to remind people that, you know, there are some taste challenges um, of using artificial alternative sweeteners, that sticky cloying texture or feel in your mouth that does come from alternative sweeteners, whether they're natural or artificial, was actually the first reason why we decided that wasn't the right approach if you wanted to make the best tasting drinks, particularly mixed spirit drinks. And that's what obviously at Fever Tree we're, we're really talking about here. Um, and still to this day, there are you know, many, many consumers who don't really know what's inside their tonic water or ginger ale or ginger beer. Um, so I think you know, we welcome any opportunity to educate people so they can make an informed choice as to you know, what they want to choose. And at this time, when every dollar and every cent counts more than it's ever counted before um, and you do want to enjoy that great gin and tonic or whiskey and dry ginger ale, um, you know, we think you at least have the choice of saying, I'm going to, you know, just for a couple of dollars more, actually I can have the best tasting drink that's crisp and clear and doesn't have all of those sticky, cloying, textual um, uh, aftertastes that an alternative sweetener like aspartame or saccharin might have.
1: Yeah, so... Tell us about a bit about the actual company in terms of its scale these days. So, where's it? Where's it being sold? Is it? And you know the scale of the actual business.
2: Yeah. So um, I have to say, you know, I, I still talk daily to Tim, our co-founder, Tim's my boss, he's our CEO. Um, we are all um, on one hand quite surprised actually the scale of the business. So we, we started out in, in <laughs> one country and it was about how do we just give people choice that care about choice, if you like. Uh, and we found quite quickly actually that people were quite prepared to spend a little bit more money when they were given that choice. Um, so, you know, one, one of the things that we were most surprised about, very, very proudly surprised about, I guess, was Um, passing Schweppes in terms of market share in the UK about sort of seven, eight years ago now. So we became the number one mixer company ahead of Schweppes. And when we started out, people just said, oh, you know, expensive tonic water and expensive mixers, nobody cares about that. So that was sort of, you know, very, very interesting. But, you know, we're in 85 countries around the world now. um, So we're a truly global brand um, that gives, you know, consistency of product to people wherever they are in any bar, any restaurant, any store. Um, and in, in many countries, our market share has grown into such a place that, you know, we've not only, I guess, given people good. Good options to have at home, but have actually driven value back into categories that have been devoid of category uh, of value for some for quite some time. Um, So we've been in Australia, say for kind of just about 10 years now. Um, We are in New Zealand, we're across most of the sort of markets close to us. um, And we've seen very strong results um, similar to that UK um, statistic in Western Europe and in the US, you know, with the number one tonic water, number one ginger beer in the US. But we're still just scratching the surface, really, in terms of opportunity um, Obviously, people drink more than just gin, and we make more than just tonic water. Um, so there's lot, lots more uh, that we want to and can be doing as we continue this mission to help people discover and explore and enjoy these wonderful, great-tasting drinks.
1: Mm. And are you? And is the product being manufactured in each of those countries, or are you? Have you got a central hub, and it's then being shipped, or how's that? Yeah,
2: great question, Kim. So the, the Fever Tree story is all about how we find and source the finest ingredients from wherever they may be. So, I'll sort of start answering that question by kind of saying that first, I guess. So, our quinine, for example, which is at the heart of all great tonic water, uh, we found in this wonderful plantation on the Congo-Rwanda border. Um, very difficult to get to, sort of twenty odd years ago when Tim was trying to find that. Um, and this is the sort of extract of the chinchona tree bark that you know traditionally tonic waters. Um, this is also an anti-malarial, as you might know, and it's generally a pharmaceutical additive um, to this day. Malaria is still one of the world's biggest killers. A child dies every you know, two hours of malaria still, and it shouldn't. But uh, and you know that that, that sort of ingredient so important. But that applies to all our ingredients, whether that's our uh, limes that we find from the Yucatan Peninsula, Tahitian limes from Mexico, our gingers we use either from Cochin in, in India, Nigeria, and Ivory Coast. A blend of gingers. So we find these wonderful ingredients, and then traditionally, I guess as a company that was a starting up, uh, we manufactured them all in one place in the UK. That's sort of I guess you know what we started. According to the scale as we then started exporting meant that we. Started still relied on that um that location for bringing those ingredients together. But increasingly, as we've grown, our manufacturing takes place closer to um, the markets. Um, and that, what's really exciting for us here in Australia is that as we look towards 2024, we're, we're excited to be bringing um, the assembly, if you like, the blending of those ingredients with water and glass here in Australia. We're certainly not in the business of shipping glass and water around the world, and as soon as we can, we want to bring that closer to home, provided we keep those wonderful ingredients at the heart of things.
1: Yeah, and I imagine that, particularly with all of the logistics sort of disruption that we've been experiencing the last last handful of years, that that must uh, there must be a little bit of pain in and uh, stress in maintaining those those lines of um, <laughs> of ingredients.
2: Yeah, very true. I, I think I've got. On my CV now, I can say supply chain logistics. I won't quite say expert, but I've learned, as all of us, a lot about um, the cost of shipping, the complexities, the challenges over the, particularly during the pandemic, Um, and and then yeah, and the financial component for sure. There's the environmental part of that, so you know it certainly adds. uh, You know anything that requires moving from place to place, um, you know a lot of complexity. Um so you know we're always looking at how we can be better partners for our customers um and you know we, the other thing about not using artificial preservatives or you know, things like that, artificial sweeteners and using real ingredients is that the shelf lives on our products are a bit less than, you know, might be found on some of the other products that are using, you know, flavourings and what have you. So, of course, when you add in shipping something to Australia from somewhere else, it's always going to take a long time. So, um, yes. it's, it's a lot yes. of complexities. <laughs> so, we're certainly looking forward to um, addressing some of those as we look towards next year.
1: Yes, you can, um, you can have a very loyal audience in Australia, but they're still a very long way away. So at the moment are you producing a fever tree in like in Australia or in this region or is it is it still being shipped from the UK
2: Yes, yeah, so a good question, Kim. So currently, the fever tree product we have in most, most markets, including here in New Zealand, we do bring into the market from our um, wonderful production facility in the UK. Um, as I mentioned, these wonderful ingredients, we assemble them together um, and then we, we bring them over here. Now, as soon as possible, we wanted to look at bringing that production, that assembly of these ingredients closer to home for us home being Australia. So, it's very exciting now that we're uh, we're on track to be producing um, fever tree products in Australia from 2024, which is um, hugely exciting.
1: Well, that's hugely exciting. And I, and I imagine, I mean, you've, the brand's been here since 2018, but we then had a few years in there that probably put any plans of establishing production here on hold while uh, everything settled down and we Knew what the what the new world was going
2: to look like. That's exactly right. I mean, as a as a business that at the heart of everything we do, um, the best taste and quality coming first does mean that whenever we're looking at you know anything that we would produce, we have got quite. Um, strict quality controls. Um, part of that is our fantastic technical team. Um, as you can quite appreciate, would need to come out to market and assess the right partners with the right capabilities. Um, and that's not just about assembling those ingredients. Even our carbonation—you know, talking about bubbles—is not the sexiest thing. Maybe at ten o'clock at night over the bar, but actually, the way Fever Tree carbonates is quite unique. And it is part of what delivers that great tasting drink. So the ability to carbonate in certain ways, the level of um, minerality in the water, the capabilities. So, yes, unfortunately, with a few years of our borders being a bit more closed than many of us would have liked, um, we were only really able to kick off that project once the, um, the borders opened and my technical colleagues had come down and start working on sourcing good partners.
1: That was actually going to be my next question was, is the production for something like a tonic water or different than say the production for a soft drink? Uh, Or is it, does that sort of beverage production all sort of sit within one carbonated line? Yeah,
2: so for us, we do see a difference. Um, For the broader market, when we were founding our business, um, no, there wasn't a difference between a soft drink and a mixer. It was generally the same production lines with just switched different flavours. We looked at that quite differently. We felt that Carbonation, as that example, is so hugely important in enjoying a drink. Um, When you mix that with alcohol, um, there's there's natural sugars or sweeteners inside alcohols. Um, And as you may know, any time you add sugar to something carbonated, it loses its is you know your co2 disappears quite quickly um so we spend a lot of time actually understanding the, the kind of the science of bubbles as we might call it what we find with soft drink companies is they want you know great big bubbles because something that people don't know that i, th- I think fascinating actually is um the reason we like fizzy drinks is not just because of the flavour, it's because of how it makes us feel. And for decades, we didn't know this. We thought, of even going back to the times of wellness in the Victorian era, um, these natural aquifers were sort of fizzy water that was naturally coming out of springs was seen as giving health property. We didn't really know why it made us feel good, though. And, and what's actually happening is when CO2, which either is naturally um, through an aquifer or sort of added in during carbonation, um, our body thinks it's a toxic it's toxin. Um, now, it's harmless in the quantities, but our body reacts in a, in a way that it's been trained to for millennia. It releases certain things to try and fight that. And the things that we release, the chemical we release naturally when CO2 enters our bloodstream, are endorphins. And endorphins are the things that make us feel great. So if you're having a nice big swig of a cold can of fizzy drink, You've got these great big bubbles and they burst open and that sort of first almost pleasure pain feel is these endorphins buzzing into your brain and you want to have another sip now one of the downsides of this is that um that big co2 bubble also closes your palate's ability to taste it's like biting into a chili and then trying to eat something afterwards you kind of lose a bit of taste so that was our learnings led us to say well actually if we're all about taste and making that that whiskey or that gin or tequila taste the best it can We didn't want those big bubbles. Champagne is actually one of the greatest wines to eat food with because those little bubbles transport flavor in a way that still wine doesn't. So we carbonate in a way that almost creates that sort of like very high carbonation, but very small, soft bubble that lasts a long time rather than a great big bubble that a soft drink company would traditionally use when they're making a lemonade or a cola or something like that. So we think there is a difference in conclusion between bubbles in in a mixer and bubbles in a soft drink.
1: You have just given me the best, like, story that now when I say to people I like this sort of soda water and I don't like the sort that you can make in your own home because the bubbles are different, <laughs> now I can, now it's real. <laughs> now, now I can say, I say, Auntie from Fever Tree told me,
2: yeah.
1: yes. I like a fine bubble. And I think, and I think I the other
2: thing about this is when you, when you have a refreshing drink, whether it's from a you know, the homemade carbonation machine or whether it's from a can, and you, you know, you, you're going to drink it quite quickly, you gulp it and it disappears, it's delicious. When you're savouring a good quality whiskey and dry or gin and tonic… The first sip's really important, obviously, and most carbonated drinks taste pretty good on the first sip. There's lots of bubbles. You see the thing sparkling on top of the glass. But 10 minutes later, when you're halfway through that drink, you still want the bubbles to be as fresh and effervescent, and that's another reason why you know, I think we've, we've worked so hard on the, the longevity of the bubble, and that can't be accomplished um, at home in a, with a machine at home or even in most sort of, most, most sort of soft drink. Philosophies, if you like, and, and I say it is one of the things that's very different about Fever Tree that we probably haven't spoken about enough, arguably, because um, it's not everyone's cup of tea. But there's a wonderful story there, I think.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I love that. I love that. Um, now, I know Fever Tree has been now going for almost twenty years, like next year, and there have been iterations along the way and different product, uh, different product developments, and then. I know that this year, where you're coming out with mixers that are actually like a cocktail mixer, so a margarita mixer or a mojito, a mojito mixer, beautifully timed for summer, I must say. But what? So what's that process in terms of for the company? Obviously, they've seen a, they've seen a market that they could access. Why is the company going into that sort of space?
2: I guess it comes back to the sort of founding principles of how do we make great mixed drinks taste even better, taste the best they can. And as I said earlier, we've started our life in tonic water because we were founded a gin and tonic at the heart of that. But you know, around the world, people drink lots more than gin and there's mixers, carbonated mixes that are much broader than tonic water, ginger ale, ginger beer, sodas, lemonades, as I mentioned. Um, but increasingly, we're enjoying cocktails. Um, and in some parts of the world, our you know, friends in North America, if anyone spent time in the US, drinking cocktails at home and going for a cocktail is ubiquitous. I mean, it's just part of culture in that part of the world. So there's lots and lots of cocktails. And over here in Australia, we're really embracing cocktails in a way that we haven't before. Um, And that same principle of going to a bar and having a well-educated professional bartender crafts you a wonderful margarita, for example, or a cocktail, and then going home and trying to recreate that. Um, either it's complex because you've got to have lots of ingredients and you've know, got to figure out what ratios do I use or equipment. Um, but also, uh, and, and people have addressed that by saying, well, let's let's maybe make some um, mixers to help you make your cocktails at home. But what we found looking at that category is some of the same challenges are there in the way that there were with carbonated mixers, um, artificial sweeteners, uh, ingredients perhaps is not as high quality as we think there could be. Just
1: terrible. Like terrible. I can't even, I'm not even showing any form of, you know, journalistic impartiality here. Those, they are just sugar and coloring and vile. It's like sadness and hangover in a bottle.
2: <laughs> and so when you look at a category like that, and I guess with what we've learned at Fever Tree and Ark, and I of guess point of difference has been to really understand those drinks and then find how to. Get these wonderful ingredients that we know so well uh, and blend them into a drink that can make your margarita taste the best it can taste in a simple way. Now, we're not trying to replace the you know, you know, way a bartender in a wonderful cocktail bar is going to make their drinks. But for making a drink at home um, with two ingredients, a good quality tequila, uh, a measure of our margarita mixer, which we're using, I mentioned these the ingredients, these wonderful Tahitian limes that we find in the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico, agave syrup, which sort of you know, really talks to that sort of agave herbaceousness that you might find in a margarita, um, the sweetness you'd get from a triple sec or Cointreau, um, and just Put that in a simple way, and the same philosophy of the Mojito with looking at mint. Looking at the sweetness, looking at the you know the carbonation that a mojito should have th- coming from soda water, um, the citrus again from those limes. Um, so we're really excited about this. It's um, very early days um, here in Australia. We've launched our cocktail mixes in the US, in the UK, um, in Germany. They launched this week actually. So some of our European markets. So it's um, a new venture for us, but it still very much follows the the heartland of what Fever Tree is all about, which is helping you make the best tasting drinks that you can possibly find?
1: Well, look, it's been fantastic to have a chat, to do a little bit of a take the lid off and hear the fizz. Uh, it's um, very exciting about the developments for um, ANZ that are in the pipeline. That's, um, we'll really have to have you back to, to um, talk about that once we, once we have more details and um, the developments are underway. That's really exciting. So, uh, Andy, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thank you, Kim. Thanks very much for having me. It's been great.
0: Well, thanks, Andy. Thanks, Kim. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can follow this podcast and your favourite podcatcher to ensure you get every episode as they're released. We'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative discussion, because those bubbles are really amazing. Thanks <laughs> I can't for that. believe
1: I can't believe it's only eleven 11.50 like, 11. in the morning. <laughs> Who's ready? I'm ready to go and have a- <laughs> little tipple.
0: Let's yeah. go and have a yeah, GMT. Yeah, someone's up for a GT. There you go. Yeah. Anyway. But hey, until then, <laughs> enjoy, enjoy a jolly good uh, GT with a wonderful mixer, of course, and have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media, or the guest employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a
2: Yappa Media Podcast.